a three-week series, and I'd like to start us off and just pray real quick. God, I just pray, um, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. And God, I just pray that that you would really lead us to a response uh, to you so that we really could thrive, like that song was saying that we sang a few minutes ago. God, I just pray that you would meet with us this morning and would hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my name is Jeep Underwood, and uh, I'm really glad that you guys are here today at Church in the Valley. And uh, we're, we're concluding today a, a three-week series called The Necessary Thing. And uh, basically at the heart of this three, these, these three talks has been this truth that Jesus desires for us to enter into his life and his teaching and his instruction in such a way that we change over time to become like him. And so we're able to handle life as it comes, and we're really our lives would really make a difference. Uh, so two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we looked at the the reality you have to come to grips with uh, to really enter that life. And so, you know, we looked at the fact that that God, when you come to believe that God is fully in control of your life, and that as a like, as your Father, He really cares about you, and you respond to Him in humility and uh, a surrender to his ways, then the door opens to the life that he really wants for you. That's really, the, that's really some prerequisites to really getting that door open. And then last week we looked at the real invitation that Jesus gives us to step into that life. And we looked at his invitation was basically to come to him, to come to me, to yoke with me, and to learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls, and your life will make a difference. So this, that's where we've been, that's where we've been the last couple of weeks. And today we're going to be looking at the necessary thing. Uh, so the necessary thing that's required for us to genuinely live that life. What is that necessary thing? Now, as we, as we get started this morning, I wanted to ask, how many, how many people here use Google Maps or something like Google Maps often? Now, I think it's basically the way we live now. I mean, of course, I'm really late to the game. Uh, I finally got a phone that could do Google Maps a few months ago, uh, well, several months ago now. And so I'm late to the club. And, you know, it's like I'm an engineer, so I'm like, how does this thing work anyway? So, you know, it's like, you know, it's based on real-time traffic information that comes from sensors in the pavement put there by civil engineers like myself. And it just it's all these algorithms to decide, like, which way to go and which is the fastest route. And that's what we use it for. Now, I I started off using it, and I, st- I had some positive experiences with Google Maps Uh and uh, one, you know, we, the first time I tried to use it was we had to go, we were going our way to Universal uh, Studios. And so I, you know, typed in the address and hit the, hit the button, and it told me the best route was to get on the 101 freeway and go directly there. Now, I have a real aversion to the 101 freeway from downtown L.A., anywhere else. I mean, it's just a, I hate the 101 freeway. And so, man, I was just like, oh, gosh. I don't think I can do it. Isn't there any other? I'm looking. Is there any other ways? There's other routes. Went no. All right. Well, I'm just going to trust Mr. Google, and I'm going to go ahead and get on the 101 freeway. So I get on the 101 freeway, and sure enough, it's just locked up in downtown LA. I'm like, oh. And then as we kept going, we kept going. Uh, it started moving a little bit faster, and then a little bit faster, and then we ultimately we got there about the time we needed to get there, and, and uh, Mr. Google was right. Um, and so I was really excited about that. So, um, and it really was the best way. And then a few weeks later, 
I, I finally, you know, I'm, I'm kind of slow to the game. I thought, hey, you know, maybe this could help me get to work because, you know, I've been doing it for 21 years, but just having an idea of what the traffic is. So I typed into my work address and hit the button. And it happened to be one of those days <clears throat> when everything went bad everywhere. And it was like, instead of the normal 30 minutes or so to drive to work, it was like 50 minutes. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm going to be late. Oh, my gosh. So I hit this button, and so I, well, there's nothing to do. So I, so I get on the 60 freeway, and I'm heading down the 60 freeway, and I'm looking at downtown L.A., which is where I work, right in the middle of downtown L.A. I'm looking right at it, just wondering, why is it so hard to get over there? And, and uh, <laughs> then, uh, then, you know, Google pops up this little message, and the message says, can save you 15 minutes if you want to. And I thought, well, I want to. And so I hit the button and the button. And then it like, you know, did this little orientation thing. And I'm, it tells me to take the off ramp for the 710. And it told me to go south on the 710. Now I'm, I'm looking due west. And I've been driving from where we live for 21 years to where I work. And then I have never at any time turned south. And so, so I'm just thinking, okay, turn south. So I'm, well, okay, all right, Mr. Google, I'm going to try it. So I just, I can't, a lot of angst, but I made that decision, and I turned south. So I'm on the south, and then it goes a couple of exits, and it has me get off on the Whittier exit. It drives me down, then it cuts me to another road to this obscure on-ramp to the freeway that takes me to work that I never even knew existed, just like stuck between houses. And I'm like, I didn't even know this was here. And so I get on there, and it, it just happened to be, you know, Google knew that there was very little traffic right then for some reason on that freeway. And I'm just flying, and I did. I got this 15 minutes back, you know, driving along going, people should have used, followed Mr. Google. They'd be with me. So, <laughs> so I mean, it was just a real positive experience. But the, those are not my only experiences with Google Maps. Um, this last week, in fact, driving to work, there's a normal route that I take. It's on 3rd Street, heading 3rd Street to downtown L.A. And I... Uh, uh, it tells me, I can save you five minutes. I went, I could use five minutes. So I hit the button and it turned me and I went, uh, turned, uh, left and went to Whittier. And it said, just stay on Whittier, go across the bridge over LA River, go directly into downtown. So I went, man, this is great. It looks like it's a great route. So I'm just driving along down Whittier and I got to the LA River and you know, there used to be a bridge there, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that bridge isn't there anymore. Um, I should have remembered that because the Corps of Engineers has the L.A. River and they had to get permission from us to tear it down. I don't even know why. It just didn't dawn on me. Um, so the bridge is gone. And so I'm driving. I'm and there's nothing I can do. i got to get on the 101 freeway, which is my favorite freeway. <laughs> and so now I'm on the 101 freeway. And, and actually, it cost me quite a bit of time. I didn't, I didn't gain five minutes. I lost like 12. And so anyway, I just, you know, I had that, I've had that experience. I've also, I've learned that, you know, I've learned a few ways to get to work, and Google doesn't know all those ways. And there's, there's some ways that, you know, I'll follow Google, and then I'll go, whoop, I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. And then Google kind of catches up and goes, hey, that was a good idea. So, you know, and, and I, actually, I actually get there faster. But it never learns. <laughs> it just never sees it, no matter what. And then I've also seen, you know, sometimes I'll just randomly try something else. Like it's telling me this, I'll just... I'm going to turn here. So I just, I'll just turn here, and then it has to recalculate. When it recalculates, about 70% of the time it finds a faster route. It, it just, I'm, hitting, I'm hitting a pretty good average, so I do it every once in a while when things look bad. And then, so, 
You know, so the so now when I look at Google Maps, it pops up on the screen. I have a lot of angst when I make my decisions when I think about Google Maps. So I'm I'm really evaluating what it is I'm seeing. And uh, sometimes I just completely ignore it. Like, you know what? I will not go on that road. You know, it's uh, and, you know, there are probably times when I should have. But that's kind of the way I deal with Google Maps. I think I think there's a real tendency in all of us to really treat what God says to do in life like Google Maps. There's a real tendency to us to treat what God says to do like Google Maps. We we know what God says is probably generally a good way, but in our personal situation, it, it, it just may not be the best. And or we might feel we might just feel a lot more comfortable doing things our own way. And it might really turn out to be what's best. And we also, you know, what if God's wrong? What if the bridge is out? You know, what if what if I do what he says and I really get ripped off or my kids don't get the life that I really want for them? And there's just you know, what if what if God's wrong? And then. Uh, or you kind of have sometimes you can just kind of this general idea that I can I can really choose any way I really want to go. Uh, and things will just generally kind of work out. So I just kind of do whatever I want and things will just kind of generally come together. The problem is, is that when we when we treat what God says like that, what it's like, it's like we're in a room uh, by ourselves trying to figure out our lives. And in the corner of the room is a door and the door's shut. And that door is to the life that God really wants for us. The life where he's really interacting, living with us, showing us how to how to really handle life. But we're, we're kind of shut up in this room when we hand when we treat what God says like that. So one thing. You know, as we come to grips with the reality that we talked about the first week and we respond to Jesus's invitation that we talked about last week, it brings us to a point of decision. It always brings us to a point of decision of what we're going to do. And I want to let's take a look at Luke six, forty-seven through 49. And this is this is Jesus talking and he references his invitation. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. What he's what he's saying there is that your life can be built in such a way where you can really handle the things that are happening in life. But we have to respond to his invitation and then you actually have to put into practice the things that he's doing the things that he's asked you to do. Now, the second man, let's go to the next slide. It says, but the one who has heard and not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. This person that he's describing is someone who came to him. It's someone who heard everything he said, but they just didn't do what he said. And so that's the, that's the real that's the real crux is we've got to come to the point where we we really do what he says. Now, that sounds costly. Now, when you when you think about it, if I were to actually orient my real life completely around what God says to do, that, that sounds like a really costly endeavor to me. You know, I really have to change a lot of things. And, and that's really the truth. It really is a costly endeavor to do that. And that's why there's, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of scriptures that to talk about the cost of discipleship and counting the cost, things you really want to think through before you make a decision uh, to really enter into a discipleship relationship with Jesus. 
But I wanted to go, I wanted to touch on a verse this morning that I think is a, it's a great verse that really captures that cost. And let's go ahead and look at Matthew 13, 44. This is Jesus talking. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the idea of this guy, he goes out in the field, he sees, he finds something very valuable there. And then he like covers it up so nobody else sees what he saw. And then he goes and he sells everything he's got. He comes back and he buys that field. So what Jesus is saying is when you get a real picture of the life that he wants for you, uh, the, the with him life that we've been describing uh, over the last few weeks, when you get a real picture of that, the other, the life that you, the other life that you lived apart from him begins to pale in comparison. And so, uh, the thought of, it, it pales in comparison to the thought of, of anything that you're currently hanging on to preventing you from having what God wants just is, it just is untenable. It doesn't make any sense. The cost, there's the cost of discipleship, but the benefit of, of discipleship greatly outweighs the cost. So we have this amazing opportunity. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to kind of walk us through. Jesus gave some more thoughts about how do you get from the point where you hear him uh, and you act and you do what he says. He gave some more thoughts and he did this in a parable that's very, uh, a lot of, uh, very commonly known, the parable of the soils. So he talked about four different kinds of people. He talks, he tells this parable that kind of had people scratching their heads about a sower going out, sowing seed on uh, just beside the road and thorny ground and rocky ground and then in good soil and what happened. And after he tells this, the disciples come up to him and they ask him, hey, uh, what does that mean? And so they, they, go, they come to him and Jesus starts explaining. And what he starts with is a quote from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six from the Old Testament. And in this, Jesus has been watching the people. He's been watching how they react and their response to the things he's been saying and he's watching Isaiah 6 play out. And so he starts, and that's why he gave the parable of the soils. And so let's read, let's read his quote of Isaiah chapter 6. Jesus said, For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. And what he's doing, he's describing the room with the door that's closed. And they're left on their own to figure out how to live their lives. That's what he's describing. And he says, otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. So he describes that, he describes the way out of that room, and the way out of that room is to this sequence of seeing with your eyes, hearing with your ears, understanding with your heart, so that you return, and then he heals your life. So, you know, that, that word return basically just means to turn around and go a different, go a different direction. So he's saying is you have the way you've been going. You turn around and you go his way. And then what happens, the result of that is the life that you've always wanted. It's the life that he desires for you, the with God life, the fruitful life that he has. Uh, and he heals your life. So, um, what I, uh, that, so when you look at that sequence, it says understand with your heart, and return, that right there is the necessary thing. The necessary thing to enter the life that God really has for us is that we come to the point of understanding 
what God wants done. And then we decide to do what he says. That's the necessary thing. It boils down. There's so many other things going on, but it boils down to that decision, that choice. So I'd like to walk through the different soils that Jesus talked about when he explained them. And at the top of the slide, you'll see this sequence that we just talked about. And with red, uh, I have to give orientation on my slides. So what the red is, is how far that type of person gets on that sequence. So he, he says this on the first type of soil. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whose, whom seed was sown beside the road. Now this, this is the person who they hear what, they hear the word, but it really doesn't have much basis for them. They, they're really kind of ambivalent to it. And so they just, they really don't, Think about it very much at all, and the enemy just comes and takes the memory of it right out of their mind. So that's that's uh, that's one type of person Jesus was watching in the crowd. Let's look at the next the next type of person he describes. The next person he describes is this is the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word. Immediately he falls away. So this, this is the person he, he, that hears the word of God and he understands it just enough to see the promise of it. And the, it just it sounds really good and they get excited, just enough to get excited about it. But then when they actually go into their life and they, they, re, and they begin to realize they have to actually change the way they're doing things, the, the, the luster wears off real quick and they just punt. And they, and they don't really do anything with the word of God. So then the third soil, Jesus, and he was watching these reactions in the crowd. So the third soil, he says, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You know, this, this, is, this is the type of person that hears the word of God and they come to a substantial understanding of it. They come with a substantial understanding of what God wants done. But because of all the anxieties that they're facing, just like the world's anxieties, and because of the delusion that money, that money is really the necessary thing. There's this delusion that money is really the necessary thing. You know, everything else, you got money, you got everything. So they give in they, this delusion of, of money and the anxiety, it crowds out the word so much that it just doesn't bear any fruit in, in your life. And so you don't really put anything into practice and nothing really happens from there. So let's go to the, the fourth soil. And you'll see on the, on the fourth soil, they, they connect to the fruitful life that God really wants. You see, they go all the way through the sequence and it says, And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. This, is, this type of person is the one that hears the word of God and they come to a point of fully understanding what God wants done. And then they make a decision to change the direction of their life and how they handle that aspect of life. They now change that and they handle it the way God says to handle it. And what happens is the door in that room opens wide and they step through it. And they walk into the life that God has always wanted for them. 
and the life that they've always wanted for themselves. And they begin that with God life, that fruitful life that, they, they, that, uh, that they've always wanted. That's what happens when uh, you come to the point of understanding and just turn around and go God's way. Now, a few earmarks of the person of this kind of person. Uh, one is they come to it's they come to grips with the reality that God is in control and that He's taking care of them like their father, like we talked about in the first talk. They've come to grips with that, so this helps them deal with their anxieties, and so that their anxieties don't crowd out the Word of God of how things might turn out. And they've also Another earmark of this, of this kind of person is that they've really accepted Jesus' invitation to come to him and yoke with him and to learn from him so that Jesus has become the dominant voice in their life. Jesus has become the dominant voice in their life. And this, this really prevents the delusional call of wealth and everything else the world offers from crowding out the word of God. Uh, and then... The third thing, the third earmark of their life is because of the first two things and the reality of those, they have a response of God. Of, they, love, they, they develop a love for God that's real and based on who he is and what he's really doing in their lives. And they, they truly love God. And their love for God drives them to really obey him and to really do what he says because they know he has their best interests at heart. So I'd like to take a look at John 14:23, where Jesus speaks on this. It says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The, the, the real secret to the with God life that God desires and we desire is that, um, is that we would really come to the point that we love him and we obey him because we because uh, we want to please him and because we know that he really knows what he's talking about. He's not Google Maps. He knows the bridge is out. He knows all those things. He is fundamentally, completely in control of reality. And he can control everything. And he really cares about us. Now, this morning, you know, one thing I... One thing I wanted to just, uh, just mention is that as, I, as I've been working on these three talks... I've been, uh, God has made it clear to me, there, there's a couple of doors that I've been standing in front of too long. And I'm working with him on those doors right now. And uh, I would wonder if this morning, if there aren't, for many of you, a door you're standing in front of, or a, do- a few doors you're standing in front of, that you're, you're just not sure if you want to f- go through that door and do what God says in what you're dealing with. You know, maybe, uh, maybe, Maybe you've come to understand how God really wants you to live in a forgiving way with your spouse and with your family. But um, you really feel like they just won't learn any lessons if you just release them from it. You know, maybe, maybe you just have some angst there. Or maybe, maybe you've come to understand how God wants you to follow a tough boss. But you feel like he's just so wrong in how he's relating to you. So you're just trying to figure out. Am I going to do what God says in this arena? And then maybe, you know, maybe you've come to the point where you fully understand how God wants you to love and discipline your kids. But it's just not the way you normally roll. It's just not the way you really look at it. You know, there maybe, and, may, and maybe there's, a, you know, there's one of a thousand other doors. I have no idea what door is that you're looking at right now and what, 
And uh, what I would what I would really encourage you to do is to walk through that door because it's walking through that door is where you find the life and the results and the outcomes that you're really wanting. Now, what's true is that as you go through more and more doors in walking with God, your belief in his sovereignty and his care for you grows and you come to even a stronger commitment over time to really go his way. It's, it's, all of this is something that grows. Your understanding of the reality, your, your accepting of the invitation, and your, uh, your engagement in the necessary thing by doing what he says, this all grows over time, and it makes a real difference in the way your life really goes. Now, I want to, as we get ready to, to wrap up, I want to I watch a, a movie clip. And if anyone knows me, if any of you know me, you'll know that this is probably Braveheart, and you're right. Um, Braveheart is uh, one of my absolute favorite movies. It could be the most favorite, but I, I have a three-way tie, and I'm just not going to break it. So, But uh, Braveheart is just one of those movies for me. And the clip we're going to watch, we're going to watch, it's a, with, it's a clip with Robert the Bruce, and the voice of success is what he's been following his whole life. And his dad's voice has been he's been following. And so his dad has been advising him how to get the crown of Scotland. And so his the last thing is his dad had advised him that he needed to betray William Wallace in battle. And so this is like right after that happened. I'd like to watch the clip and then I'll come back and, and say a few words. You know, uh, I won't. If there's someone in here who hasn't seen the movie, I won't ruin the ending. But at the end of the movie, you find out whether he meant that or not. But he made a fundamental decision that he was never going to be on the wrong side again, and that decision changed the trajectory of his life. Um, 
In the clip, you see that his, his father's voice and the call of success had been the dominant voice. But the message in life of William Wallace had replaced that and become the dominant voice of his life. And then you can see that he really changed. His perspective changed completely. His perspective about what was really important in life, his perspective about what was uh, really going on in the world, and his perspective about his role in the world completely changed. And he came to this point of decision where he said, I will never be on the wrong side again. There comes a point. There comes a point in walking with God when you're growing in this reality and you're taking Jesus at his invitation and you're putting into practice what he's saying and you're seeing how things are turning out and you become more and more convinced that this is really the way life works. And you come to a point where your decision to do what God wants done becomes stronger and stronger. Till finally, there's, there's, a, there's a statement that comes in your life, and that statement is, I will never go back to my old life again. I will never go back to my old life again. I will not go back into that room where i got to figure this out on my own all by myself. I will stay in this reality that's true where God and I work together and we make a difference together. Um, and when you make that solid decision to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, the outcome of your life and the trajectory of your life completely changes. And you don't wind up where you were aiming when you were younger. And the great thing about God is he always, he's always standing ready. Wherever you're at, whenever you respond to him, he grabs you by the hand and he says, let's go. All it is is a response to him and really accept that invitation and then do what he says to do. Um, I really like to I like to give you guys um, I like to ask you to, to think through a challenge. Uh, this might be something that you're already doing, but if not, uh, I would like to you'd, I'd like to really ask you to consider over the next couple of months that you would carve out time to be alone with Jesus on a daily basis and read through the Gospels, maybe a chapter a day or something like that. Whatever whatever it is you decide to do. But just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just really with the thought that I want to see Jesus, I want to see what it is he wants from me, and I want to understand what it is he wants done and then really act on it. Um, some other next steps you know, that, you, that maybe have come to, to you this morning. Maybe, maybe you're seeking to understand what God says to do. In our, maybe you need to seek to understand what God says to do in an arena of your life that you're currently facing. Maybe you're facing something and you just, you just really don't know what it is God wants you to do. You really need to seek that out. Maybe uh, another thing would be maybe you need to end a current struggle that you're having with what God says to do and just decide to go God's way and open that door, go through that door, and experience the life that he wants for you. And then, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it would be a good idea if, is just to memorize uh, Matthew 13:44 and just remember the treasure that's been offered us and just to kind of get your perspective right on really the cost and the benefit of following him. So with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. God, I, I just pray that for each one of us, myself included, that you'd really show us, God, the doors that we're standing in front of. And God, I pray you give us, um, as we pursue you, God, just a real understanding of what we need to do and that we would really trust you and do it and see how it turns out and that you would really grow us over time.
In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'd like to like to ask uh, our.